Well, hello, church family. Welcome to Church Online. Uh, my name is Greg, and I'm going to bring the word to you today. I want to start off by asking you a question. How do you love people who are just different from you? How do you love people who are different from you? Because I have a confession. I really like people who are like me. I really like them a lot. For example, if you saw the friends that I surf with, they, they're all very much like me. They walk like me. They talk like me. They surf like me. They have the same kind of boards as I do. They have the same kind of clothes and even the same kind of hairstyle. They're a lot like me. I want to show you a picture of some of the guys that I ride mountain bikes with. These are guys I ride with every week. And I know you can't really tell which one is me because we all look alike. But if you were to take off our helmets, you would find that we all look alike. Like seriously, all these guys in this picture are Asian Americans like me. All these guys are around the same age as me. All these guys are dads. They all have kids like me. In fact, these guys are Christians like me. Many of them are pastors, some are deacons, and they serve in their churches like me. A lot like me. And so it's easy for me to like people like them because they're like me. But I believe that God has called us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven to not only like those who are like us, but I believe he calls us to like and love those who are not like us, who are different from us. Maybe they're on the other side of the fence on political issues, on moral values, on family philosophies, on religious backgrounds. A few years ago, we were uh, going through a series here at the church, and we were talking about Islam a lot. And I remember during that time praying a very specific prayer. And I prayed, God, would you please give me a Muslim friend? Because I realized I didn't have any Muslim friends. But I, I genuinely was asking for a Muslim friend who I can be a genuine friend to and share Jesus with. Well, after that year, uh, my, my family, we moved into a new neighborhood. That's where we currently live. And when we moved into that neighborhood, we got to meet some of the neighbors in our, in our neighborhood. And a couple houses up the street, there's this family who we really, really like. It's a young family like ours. The husband's my age, though the wife is my wife's age. They have three kids just like we have three kids. They have, they have a love for Jesus like we have a love for Jesus. In fact, they come to South Bay Community Church just like we do. Shout out to my neighbors. We really, really like them because they are a lot like us. Now, here's the interesting thing. Guess who lives in the house on the other side of my fence between our two houses who lives right directly on the other side of my fence a muslim family and it's like god answered my prayers but not only did he give me a muslim friend he gave me a muslim family three generations of muslims living in the same household from the grandpa and grandma down to the grandchildren all living on the other side of my fence. And to be honest, over the past couple of years that we've lived in this neighborhood, we haven't really gotten to know them all that well. More than just the occasional hi or bye or good morning, we haven't 
really gotten to develop a relationship with them. And I think it's because they're not a lot like me. It's not quite natural for us to get along. And so today's message is really a message that I pray would be for me as much as it is for you. And I want to ask this question. How do we love those on the other side of the fence? How do we love those on the other side of the fence? And in this message, what I'm referring to are those people who may not be like us. Or maybe they may not like us. And we don't naturally like them. How do we get along with those who are so different from us? And so I want to ask you as we go through this message to think about who is it in your life that's just not like you? Who's different from you? Maybe for you, that's literally your next door neighbor on the other side of the fence. Who maybe you've been at odds with for a while now. Or, or maybe it's figurative. Maybe it's, it's the person who sits on the other side of the political fence. Right? Like, think about this. How does it make you feel when you see somebody wearing a hat that says, Make America Great Again? And you know that they're Trump supporters. Or maybe you're on the other side of the fence. How does it make you feel when somebody posts on their social media, hashtag Black Lives Matters? How does that make you feel? What kind of judgments or opinions you have? Or, or, or maybe it's the fence in regards to sexual orientation. What do you think when you see a person who says that they love Jesus, but they wave their rainbow flag? Or maybe you're on the other side of the fence. How does it make you feel when somebody says marriage has to be between a man and a woman? What kind of thoughts do you have toward that person? Or, or maybe it's the fence when it comes to parenting philosophies. What, what do you feel about those people who all they do is let their kids watch the iPad and the iPhone all day? Or maybe you're on this side. What do you feel when the parents don't even let their kids drink soda? The kids are like 19 and 20. Like, what do you think about those kind of parents? How do you feel when there are people who are just so different from you that you find difficult to love? And the question is, how can we love these neighbors or those neighbors as we love ourselves? So would you join me in prayer? Let's pray and ask the Lord to show us Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I pray that at this time you would do just that, that you would open our eyes to see, that we would see Jesus, your son, and the example he says for us to love and to show compassion and to love our neighbors as ourselves. God, I pray, Lord, that as I go through this message, Lord, that you would bring to mind names of people in our lives who may not be like us. Bring to, to mind faces of those that we might not like very much or don't have a great relationship with. And I pray, God, that you would do something deep and transformative in our hearts. That you would help us to live and love like Jesus. God, I pray that you speak to us now. God, show us that your word is alive, it's living and active. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and minds, even as we go through this message, God. So, Lord, we give this time to you. Make it yours for your name's sake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so, 
Jesus gives this great commandment, one of the greatest commandments, and he tells us to love your neighbor as yourselves. And when he gave that great command, one of the teachers of the law, this Jewish teacher of the law, challenged Jesus, and he says, Jesus, who do you say my neighbor is? Who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus breaks into telling this parable, this story that is familiar to so many of us, the story of the great Samaritan. And in that story, he's showing that, that Jewish teacher of the law that for you, a Jew, even the most repulsive Samaritan is your neighbor whom you ought to love as yourself. I want to show you just how much the Jews were called to love their Samaritan neighbor. See, the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. The Jews saw the Samaritans as these impure half-breeds. The Samaritans, you need to know, at one time were part of the Israelite nation, and yet they broke the laws of God, and they went and mixed with other races. They, they married out, according to God's word, specifically with the Assyrians. And what that did was that brought in parts of their culture, including their forms of idol worship. And they brought it in, and the people became seen by the Jews as defiled, unclean, and impure. And so the Jews did not like the Samaritans. But I want to turn you to John chapter 4, and I want to show you just how much the Jew was called to love their Samaritan neighbors. Turn with me to John chapter 4, and as you're turning there, I want to give you some background. Right, so, so Jesus is in Judea. I'm going to put a map up for you. Jesus is in Judea, which is the southern part of Israel, and he's heading for Galilee. And you can see from the picture, that's about two houses up the street. About two regions from Judea. And because the Jews despised the Samaritans so much, what they would often do is they would take an alternative route, whatever it took to avoid the Samaritans of Samaria. So what they would do is they would travel eastward, cross the Jordan River, as you see in that picture. Then they would head north, and then they would cross back over the Jordan River into regions like Galilee. Anything they could do to avoid the Samaritans of Samaria. And so here Jesus is, he's in Judea, he needs to get to Galilee, and what does he do? Well, instead of going around the neighbor's yard, Jesus hops the fence and goes straight through his Samaritan neighbor's yard. And he ends up at a place called Jacob's Well, and here's what happens at the well. John chapter 4 verse 7 says this, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's a commentary from John himself. And so here this woman is sitting at the well, and she's shocked. She's shocked at what Jesus is doing right here in broad daylight. How is it that you, a Jew, are talking to me, a Samaritan? How is it that you, a man, are talking to me, a woman? She is totally different from Jesus. Like, 
culturally and socially, he should have nothing to do with this Samaritan woman. And if you're familiar with this story in John chapter 4, you know that Jesus goes on to reveal everything he knows about her. He brings up her history, her past, her baggage, and reveals that he knows that she's been through five marriages and has been divorced five times. And the fact that she's now living with this dude who's not even her husband. And he's bringing all this up. And what does the woman do? Well, the Samaritan woman, after hearing Jesus tell her her own story, all her baggage and all, she gets up and she takes off running. She runs away. But why does she run away? Check this out. In verse 28, the story continues. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come. Come, see a man who told me all that I've ever did. Can this be the Christ? And so, yeah, the, the, the woman runs away not because Jesus knew everything about her and therefore casted his judgment upon her. But she runs away because, if anything, he knew everything about her and was casting compassion upon her. She says, listen, for the first time in this woman's life, for the first time there is a man who knows everything about her and doesn't reject her like the five other men who got to know her did. They all left her, but for the first time this man knows everything about her. He really knows her, her whole story and all, and he doesn't reject her, but he accepts her, and he loves her just as she is. In fact, as he asks her for water, what he really wanted to do was give her water, living water, eternal life. So here's Jewish, this Jewish man, Jesus, sitting with this Samaritan woman who is so different from him. And she tells the whole town, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. See, Jesus already knew her story. He knew everything about her, and he understood her. And it was because he knew her story that he showed her loving compassion. Now, here, here's the breaking news, friends. Here's the news. You're not Jesus, and I'm not Jesus. And because we don't just happen to know everything about everyone's story, we need to do the work and take the time to listen to people's story. So would you write this down if you're taking notes? I'd love for you to write this down somewhere. Listen and understand their story. See, we, we have opinions of the people we don't like. You have opinions of that one person that drives you crazy or that one person who is so different from you or who is so difficult for you, who thinks differently, who votes differently, who parents differently, who behaves differently. But I want to ask you, have you ever cared to stop and listen to their story? Have you ever cared to understand where that person is coming from? Because if you haven't, I want to say, don't be foolish. Don't be a fool. Here's what Proverbs 18 verse 2 says. It says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. 
fool doesn't care to listen. A fool doesn't care to understand. That person just cares to express his or her own opinion. I remember seeing a, a viral video. It went viral, and it was a video that was captured on someone's iPhone. And, and this guy in this video, you could see there's, there's this guy who's driving like he's drunk, absolutely has no regard for life. I mean, he's speeding down the street. He's, he's weaving in and out of lanes. He's blowing red lights, nearly hitting pedestrians, nearly crashing into the cars in front of him, even at times driving into oncoming traffic, almost smashing into other cars head on. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, this guy's a maniac. Like someone's, someone's got to pull this guy over and someone's got to pull him out and punch him in the face. This guy's drunk and irresponsible. And as I kept watching this video, I have to tell you, my, my blood was boiling just because this guy had no regard for life. But my angry opinion quickly changed when we got to the end of the video. And it turns out that the, the person in the car was actually having a seizure. It was a medical emergency. And all of a sudden, my anger for this man and my opinions changed from get that guy arrested to I hope that guy can get some help. I hope we can get this guy some help. What I saw in that video doesn't change. But what I understand now completely changes my opinion and my view and my attitude toward this person. Why should we care to listen? Why should we care to understand before developing and expressing our opinions? Because listening helps us to remember that everyone has a story. When we intentionally care to sit and listen, we're reminded that this person that I may not like probably has a story. And when we listen to the story in them, it develops compassion in us. When we listen to the story in them, it develops compassion in us. It could be that that jerk of a store clerk who didn't say hi to you or didn't offer help to you, may have just lost his grandma earlier that morning to cancer. It could be that that, that know-it-all in your life group who, who claims to have all the answers might have grown up being called stupid by his very own parents his whole life. It could be that that homeless person who's dirty and smelly really doesn't do drugs or alcohol but was abandoned by her family once her mind started to deteriorate. I want to say the person you really don't like or the person you try to avoid might be fighting a battle you know nothing about. That person might be going through a battle you know nothing about. And so before deciding that you don't like them, take the time to listen to their story and watch what happens because maybe... Maybe your contempt will turn into compassion. Maybe your enmity will turn into empathy. Maybe you'll go from hating on them to helping them. 
And here we see Jesus sitting with the Samaritan woman, so different from him, but he sat with her because of what he knew. And because you and I don't already know everything about everyone's story, let's take the time to listen and learn their story. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Would you guys write this down? Learn. Learn how to love them. Learn how to love them. See, because once we listen to their story, and now we have an understanding of where they're coming from, then we can start to love them in meaningful and powerful ways. I want want to take you to Matthew chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. And in this story, in Matthew 8, Jesus, once again, a Jewish man, has this encounter with a Roman centurion. Now, you have to understand this. Jews and Romans weren't very fond of each other. Jews weren't fond of the Romans. Romans weren't fond of the Jews. And when we look at the difference between Jews and Samaritans, that, that, was, that was cultural and it was religious. But when we look at the differences between the Jews and the Romans, it was very political. They weren't very fond of each other. And yet in the story, Jesus comes to learn of this Roman centurion's situation. This Roman centurion has a servant who is deathly ill. He's sick. And although Jesus and this Roman centurion were very different in many ways, there was actually something that the two had in common. That's authority. They shared this one thing in common. They both have authority. And here's what the Roman centurion said to Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, verse 8, it says, But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. See, Jesus, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And and so when he says this, the scriptures tell us that Jesus stood there and marveled at this man's faith. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine ever saying something to Jesus and leaving Jesus marveled in awe of what you just said? Well, that's what happens. Jesus is marveled by this man's faith. Why? Because here's this Roman centurion, a political enemy of the Jews... And yet this Roman man with authority understood the ultimate authority that Jesus, this Jewish man, carried. He understood that Jesus, with the command of your voice, you just say the word, and I believe my servant will be healed. (laughs) Jesus marveled at that faith. Here's what happens in verse 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, go, let it be done for you as you have believed and the servant was healed at that very moment right there and then by Jesus's very word the servant was healed man this is powerful this is such a a good story I love it why why do I love this so much because this story helps me appreciate the previous story The story that happened right before this incident, just a few verses earlier in Matthew chapter 8. Not only was the story with the Roman centurion powerful, 
But look what happens just a few moments earlier. Because in the first couple verses of Matthew 8, Jesus meets another person who was different. And this person was a leper. He was covered with leprosy. I got to give you this background before I show you these verses. But for Jews, leprosy was this dreaded disease. And it often manifests itself in bumps and sores all over the person's skin, oozing sores, blood coming out of their skin, missing toes, missing fingers. That's what a leper often looked like. And not only did people in Jesus' time avoid lepers because they were unclean, because they could have been contagious, physically unclean, but they also avoided them because to the Jews they were ceremonially unclean meaning that they were defiled and couldn't worship in the temple of God. They were unfit to enter into his holy courts. And so the Jews understood that if you touched a leper, you too would be unclean. You too would be defiled, and you would compromise your status as a worshiper. Now imagine what it's like to feel that rejection, to have those eyes stare at you. I I shared in a previous message earlier about six or seven months ago when COVID just hit and was starting to disrupt life for everybody. One Sunday morning, I was riding my bike, and as I was riding my bike, there was this car coming down on the opposite opposite side of the road, maybe four lanes away from me, and when he saw me, he literally almost stopped his car in the middle of the road to get my attention. Along with his wife, they shouted out the window, hey! And when I turned to look, he flew, threw up his finger and he cussed me out. He says, hey, bleep you. And he continued to drive on. And I don't know what in the world I did because all I was doing was riding my bike and I couldn't help but to think, is it because I'm Asian? Is it because he thinks I had the Kung flu? Like, what was that about? And, and I have to tell you, seven months later, still in this situation with this lockdown, one thing I just haven't been able to get used to, I've gotten met, used to many things like Zoom and having online conversations, but one thing I haven't been able to get used to is when I'm outside in front of my house and I'm on my yard or my sidewalk and I see neighbors walking down the street. A lot of neighbors walk on my street, but when they see me, they'll cross the street to the other side just to avoid me. And I'll be honest with you, my first thought is, is it because I'm Asian? But then I remind myself, no, 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 that's probably not it, Greg. It's probably that they're being considerate. It's probably that they're being compliant and, and obeying the social, social distance guidelines. And they're thinking about me. And they're thinking about their own health. And so I tell myself, don't take it personally, Greg. And that's the reality. I I don't know what they're thinking. And they're probably not thinking anything bad. They're probably caring for me. I'm not sure. But I'll tell you what. For the leper in the New Testament, if you were a leper, you knew exactly why people avoided you. You knew exactly why. And you knew it was you. They weren't avoiding you like the plague. They're avoiding you because you were the plague. They wanted nothing to do with you. 
And so lepers were marginalized. They were rejected. They were isolated into these leper colonies so that normal people can resume with their normal lives and not be compromised in their status as worshipers. So here's this leper in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. It says this, And behold, a leper came to him, to Jesus, and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I love this. Why? Why do I love this? Why is this story so powerful? Because of the story that happens right after this. The story of Jesus and the Roman centurion. Think about how powerful this is. If in that story, Jesus, by the command of his voice, is able to heal a dying servant in a remote location just because his words have authority, doesn't even have to be in the same place at the same time, Jesus could have done it for this leper. Jesus could have seen this guy with boils all over his skin and and oozing pus coming out of him. He could have said, okay, just stay six feet away, be healed, be healed, be gone. Jesus has authority to heal however he wants. And yet with this leper, because Jesus knew his story, what does Jesus do? He touches him. He touches him. What's his story? Well, here's a man who's been marginalized. He's been shunned, probably abandoned by his own family. He's been unable to worship with others. He's been forced to live in this colony. Nobody in his city or town would be willing to come near him or touch him. And yet Jesus, knowing his story and being filled with compassion, knew how to love this leper in a way he needed to be loved. And so Jesus physically touched him so that he would be healed. And that physical touch wasn't just healing his leprosy. It was healing his heart. Jesus knew how to love this man in the way he needed to be loved because Jesus knew his story. Friends, the call of Christians is not simply to be civil And simply to just get along with those who are different from us. The call of Christians is to reach out to our neighbors and love with the compassion of Christ. And so we start off by listening to their story, to understand their story, so that we can learn how to love. Finally, write this down. We lead. Lead them to the Father. This is how we love those on the other side of the fence. We lead them to the Father. Because think about this. Perhaps that person who is not like you or who doesn't like you or who you don't like very much, perhaps it's no accident that God has allowed us to cross paths with that person or with those people, people who aren't like us. Maybe those EGRs, remember EGRs, we call them extra grace required people. Maybe those EGRs in our life are purposely placed there. I'm going to come up with a new term today. I'm going to call them NRGs, neighbors requiring grace, because you know NRGs, they're the ones who suck out all our energy. 
Those energies just drain the life out of us because of how difficult they are and how upset they make us. But what if God's glory, what if God's glory has something to do with the fact that they're in our lives? I want to circle you back to that first story we opened up with, the story of the the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus happened to meet at the well. I'll take you back to verse 4, John 4, verse 4. Look what it says about Jesus, this Jewish man who wanted to go from Judea to Galilee. Verse 3, it says, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Circle those two words right there. He had to pass through Samaria. Now, let, let, let me just point something out here really quick. Jesus didn't have to do nothing. He didn't have to do nothing. He's Jesus. He's the king of kings. He doesn't have to go through Samaria. I mean, Jews have always gone the the long route. They've always gone around Samaria, across the Jordan River to avoid it entirely. Jesus had options. He didn't have to do nothing. So why does it say he had to? Well, in the original Greek language in which this was written, that word had to is a single Greek word. It's the word a day. And a day expresses necessity. In one commentary I read, it calls it a divine necessity. And so he didn't have to go because he was being forced to go. He had to go because there was a mission. Why did he go through Samaria rather than go around Samaria? Why, why did Jesus have to hop the fence and intentionally walk through his Samaritan neighbor's yard? Because of divine necessity. Because Jesus knew that there was a Samaritan soul who had not yet known salvation. In fact, he knew that there was a community of Samaritan souls who had not yet known salvation. And he had to go a day. He had to go because there was a mission to love and to lead people to the Father. That's why he had to go. See, this Samaritan woman that he comes across who he knew he would run into was so different from him. Polar opposites from Jesus. He was holy. She was unholy. He was a Jew. She was an impure Samaritan. He was a he. She was a she. Totally different. And yet because she was so different from him, it makes the display of love so much more powerful that he should go and love her with the compassion of God. And sometimes I wonder if God puts people in our past who are so different from us who are so difficult to love, just so that the glory of the gospel and the power of love could be put on display. It's because you and I know, we know that anyone can love people that they like. We, We can all love people we like. Jesus calls us, though, to love people we don't like. Look what he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 32. And 33, he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And so what's Jesus saying? He says, look, it's easy for murderers to love their mamas. 
when their mamas pour out their love to them. It's easy for thieves to love their baby mama when their baby mama supports their thievery. That's easy. That's reciprocal love. There's no gospel seen in that. But he goes on. Look what he says in verse 35. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend. Expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. This reflects the Father. And so what Jesus is saying is when you choose to love the thief who stole your property, or who stole your identity, or maybe stole your ex-girlfriend, It's when you as a heterosexual choose to love on the homosexual with the love of Jesus Christ. It's when you as a Democrat choose to be gentle and kind to the Republican or you the Republican choose to love on the Democrat. It's when you choose to love your neighbor who keeps parking in front of your house or whose tree hangs over the fence and you choose to love that neighbor as yourself that we begin to let our light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. What if God's glory has everything to do with the difficult people who've been put in our lives? What if it's about God's glory? See, friends, our Our ultimate goal as citizens of the kingdom of heaven isn't simply to be civil. That's the bare minimum. But our ultimate goal as citizens of the kingdom is to lead people to the Father through Jesus Christ, his son. So church, will you listen to their story so that you can learn how to love? And let's learn how to love so we can lead them to the Father. Listen, learn, and lead. I want to close by sharing uh, this story with you. My friend Kyle, he shares just a few weeks ago, he was out for a jog, and he was going for a run during one of the heat waves we recently had here in Southern California. He says it's 110 degrees, and he said he nearly had a heat stroke. And as he was running through the campus of East L.A. Community College, he was dying of heat, and he sees the security guard. And he says as he ran by, he greeted the security guard, and the security guard responded by offering him a cold bottle of water. And when my friend Kyle took that water, here's what he writes in his Facebook post. He says, I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to share Christ. So I asked him, You know, with all the bad news going on in the world, have you heard of the good news? Kyle says the security guard was unsure and began to share his story with Kyle, how he used to go to church, and Kyle gathered, he was talking about Catholic church, and he since stopped since he had to work on weekends, and he began to hear the security guard's story, and Kyle asked the security guard, whose name's name was James. He said, James, on a scale of one to ten, how sure are you that if you died today, you would go to heaven? And James, the security guard, said, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe a five. 
He says, because even though I don't go to church, I still try to pray and I still try to love people. So maybe a five. But he told Kyle, I want to be a 10. And right there in this parking lot in 110 degree heat, Kyle, this Japanese jogger, was sitting with James, this Hispanic security guard, and they engaged in a conversation about life. And Kyle was able to lead James, the security guard, to 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. And he told James this. He said, James, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. And by the end of that conversation, James, the security guard, told my friend Kyle that he wanted to be sure. He wanted to be a 10, and he wanted to know that when he died, he'd go to heaven. And Kyle says he prayed with him right there to accept and embrace Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Kyle led James, the security guard, to the Father through Christ, his Son. When they said amen, James lifted up his head, had a big smile on his face, and he said, that was good. He says, I feel good. Thank you. And he asked Kyle about his church's worship services online because he wanted to hear the word and continue to grow to know God more. And here's what Kyle wrote on his Facebook post. I want to show it to you. Kyle wrote this. He said, James saved me from heat stroke with cold water. And Jesus saved James from judgment with living water. To God alone be the glory. To God alone be the glory. See, what if this was all about God's glory? Kyle's willingness as a Japanese jogger to sit with James, a Hispanic security guard, and exchange water looks a lot like Jesus, the Jewish man, sitting with the Samaritan woman at the well, exchanging water. Friends, I ask you to pray for me that I would be willing to sit on the other side of the fence with my neighbor and to love them with the love of Christ. And I pray for you that you'll be able to sit on the other side with those who are in your life. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that you would help us to be overcomers, people who come over the fence, who are willing to sit with our neighbors, people you've put in our lives who may not look like us, who might have different skin color than us, who might vote different from us, who might think different from us, who might have habits different from us. Help us to see them as our neighbors and to love them as ourselves. God, tensions are high right now in our nation, and I pray, Lord, that we would help people not to pledge allegiance to an elephant on the right or to a donkey on the left, but to a lamb who's on the throne. Help us to draw people not to our side, 
force them to think the way we think, but help us draw them to your word, to know what you've taught us, and to love you as you've loved us. God, help us to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven first above all else, and help us to love like Jesus loves, with great compassion, with a willingness to listen to people's story, to learn how to love them so that we can lead them to the Father. So help us, God. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.